All right, thank you for joining us, everybody. I am Anthony Zambito here at the People's Podcast. I am here with the very talented, very intelligent, and obviously Asian, Lucy Chan. Hello, everyone. Welcome. I'm, I'm happy to be back. Always happy to co-host with you. And today, our guest is a Toronto paramedic. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, say hello to Scarlett Martin. Hello, Scarlett. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. We want to invite Scarlett because she is a paramedic here in Toronto. She has been, shall I say, fired or have you been let go or do you, did you quit? Let's tell everybody your story. Oh, I have been terminated as of January 4th. My employment with Toronto was terminated. Yes. And also you ha have a little bit of social media notoriety as in the famous Ontario politician Roman Barber tweeted about you. <laughs> yes, he has. Yeah. Yeah. Roman's been a big supporter of uh, healthcare and getting us back to work. So fingers crossed we can swing some public opinion. I hope so. Finger, fingers crossed and prayers to the Lord. That's what I think needs to happen. And also action. Uh, Scarlett, can you please tell us who you are and your background, your history, and how have you come to this point while you are uh, doing a podcast episode with us here right now? Absolutely, I can. Um, I, I was an advanced care paramedic with Toronto for 23 years. Um, loved my job. I you know, liked going to work and moved up through the ranks. And we had worked other respiratory pandemics. So when COVID came in, um, the first couple of weeks, we thought, oh, geez, what is this? You know, we're back to wearing all this PPE again, just like we did with SARS. Um, and a lot of people were a little up in arms, but we, we quickly realized that um, we could protect ourselves like any other respiratory pandemic. Um, I work as an advanced care paramedic. There is also um, critical care paramedics. Most people know them because of the air ambulance. It's run by Orange and they do all the um, critical transports of patients from hospitals to hospital in Ontario. So they had a surge plan um, with the increased number of COVID patients that needed to be moved. So they asked advanced care paramedics with experience um, to come and help. So a bunch of us stepped up. I think there was eight or 10 of us that stepped up and thought, oh, this will, this will be kind of neat and stepped into that realm. So for a, about a year, um, we helped move the vented COVID patients from ICU to ICU and other patients too. Now we're not trained as critical care paramedics. We were just sort of in a, we just assisted them and learned lots of things and got some insight to their job. So shortly after that, I went back to my base role, which is advanced care paramedic. When you call 911, they try to prioritize the calls and give them more serious calls to advanced care. <clears throat> I was back on the road, I don't know, a month or two, and they um, came out with a mandatory vaccination policy. That had me a little worried because I had seen some patients have serious adverse reactions from the vaccine. And uh, I went to get some antibody blood testing done and found out that I carry antibodies to COVID. So at some point I was exposed. Um, I can't tell you when because I wasn't sick. <clears throat> I can only suspect it was maybe right at the beginning of the pandemic. We called the pandemic in March. And I do remember um, in December, January, February, there was a lot of respiratory 
illness and respiratory went through my family. So I'm assuming it was then because after that, um, we were pre-screening at work. I had no symptoms. But having uh, antibodies gives you natural immunity and protection. And I'd also read some emerging science that those with antibodies to the virus, like we're kind of seropositive, we have a higher rate of adverse reactions. So that also worried me. And just the fact that the vaccine hasn't been around that long. So <clears throat> we base all our medical treatments in the field, we give all of our patients informed consent. So if I'm going to treat you with a medication or a procedure, that means I tell you about the procedure, we talk about their risks and benefits, and then you consent or not consent. So uh, I, I sort of thought that we would be offered the same level of, um, you know, like we would still have to abide by the same informed consent. So I had wrote my employer a heartfelt letter of four pages expressing my concerns and that I didn't really feel like I could give informed consent because it hadn't, the vaccine hadn't been around long enough and I was concerned about adverse reactions and I asked for an exemption from the policy. And I just talked about that there was other means to keep people safe. We were wearing PPE that had worked through this respiratory pandemic and others, and we were willing to do antigen testing. And we knew at that point also that the vaccine wasn't stopping transmission. Like it wasn't, um, you could still spread it, right? You could still be fully vaccinated and spread COVID. So um, I was just kind of gaslit. Um, I wrote a letter to John Tory and Chris Murray, the city manager and my commander. And my commander just responded with a one paragraph you know, go get vaccinated. That's our policy. And that was it. I was called in on November the 8th um, for a suspension meeting. And um, I, I was just surprised after being a model employee for years to, to be treated. I don't know. I, I just found it terribly dehumanizing. They, they called us in our suspension letter um, insubordinate willful misconduct, none of which is true. I would never been insubordinate. I just asked questions about the policy and voiced my concerns. That's certainly not insubordination. Um, yeah, that day they took our ID away. All of us that were suspended, they took our drug keys away and we were escorted with the supervisor back to the station. And that was my, uh, that was my last shift. And they terminated us by email on January the 4th. Wow, that, that is a lot to unwrap. One question I have, Scarlett. Yeah, <laughs> yes. just to clarify. So from what I understand, you never really refused the vaccine. You were just asking for more information and citing some concerns you have? Absolutely. And I, I made it clear in the letter. I said, I'm not refusing to get vaccinated. I'm not refusing to declare my status. You just... I mean, the, the tenants, like biomedical ethics, it's, you treat people as individuals, right? You don't, it's not a one size fits all approach. So I just asked sort of because I have antibodies for COVID, could I just do something a little different until I was more comfortable taking the vaccine, do some testing, wear extra PPE, whatever they deemed would keep the public safe, right? Um, but no, no, there was no way. <laughs> So no, I never, I was never refused to take it. I was never insubordinate or 
yeah, it, it was all surprising. I was really surprised. I think there's no honor amongst politicians. I think <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Instead of no honor amongst thieves, we should change it to no honor amongst politicians. Uh, little disclaimer here that one of the co-hosts for the show did actually is a politician, but I 100% <laughs> okay. agree with what you're I saying. I am just joking. I was just for the audience I know, uh, to, to know though. Yes, I do know that Anthony is a PPC candidate. It's, don't you worry about that. Uh, I'm just doing a little joke with him. Uh, and also just, you know, sometimes those things are a little funny. Um, I wanted to ask you a question, Scarlett, mm -hmm. when it came to your job. So you actually saw firsthand adverse reactions to the vaccine. Yes. It's not something that's made up. It's not something that people are, you know, anti-vaxxers or tinfoil hat people are just saying, or conspiracy theorists are just saying, so they have an excuse or they could just get some attention. It is a real thing. Oh, I absolutely. I mean, as, as simple as taking low-dose aspirin, right? 99% of the people that take low-dose aspirin, it's just an over-the-counter aspirin. You're probably fine. Unfortunately, as paramedics, we see some, some of the population that suffers adverse reactions to that, right? And they have massive gastrointestinal bleeding and they end up almost dying. I mean, it, it's, it shouldn't be far out there thinking that medications have adverse reactions. We know they do. They're documented. Um, it's right in their profile. So, and we are who they call when these adverse reactions happen. So we usually see them first. So we have a pretty good grasp on the adverse events that happen. And can you tell us some of the adverse reactions that you've seen? And um, can you tell us maybe around the number that you've seen? How many, just like ballpark, have you seen 30? Have you seen 50? Have you seen 100 as well? Well, adverse reactions are funny because a sudden death at home, I'm not, I don't know why it happened, right? So uh, that whole, and as advanced care paramedics, we do a lot of that. So that, that leaves that whole realm up to a coroner to do an autopsy and, and decide. So I have no idea. Um, I had seen patients have strokes shortly after the vaccine. Um, was it related? Was it not? that's to be determined right later by a physician and diagnosed. Um, I had seen <clears throat> cases of chest pain that were later diagnosed as myocarditis. And that was before the sort of flags were going off that that was an adverse event. But um, yeah, adverse events are, are a funny thing to quantify because even though the patient will tell you, well, this happened like right after the vaccine, following them, I don't know what they got diagnosed as, right? So they might have never been diagnosed as having an adverse event. And how many have you seen with adverse reactions? Oh, numbers-wise? Um, well, I went off, my last shift was like the first weekend in November. Um, we start, like I started to see personally a climb of adverse reactions as more and more places mandated vaccines. Um, we would go to, you know, Shoppers Drug Mart quite frequently where people were in line for the vaccines and they would have what we call a syncopal episode, right? Right after the vaccine. Now, syncope, syncope just means you fainted. So fainting can be very benign in nature or it can be something serious and underlying, right? Um, 
sometimes they were feigning, we call it a vasovagal episode. That's just a big word for um, the vagus nerve that slows your heart rate and drops your blood pressure gets stimulated. A lot of people get that if they get really stressed out or they see something really horrible that will stimulate the vagus nerve. Generally, those people rebound quickly and we can all be pretty sure that it was just a temporary thing. Um, Some of them didn't. Some of them, their blood pressure didn't come right back up. And again, we just do pre-hospital medicine, right? So it's hard for us to follow these patients and see eventually um, what happened with them. Because of the health privacy laws, we're not privy to go back into the hospital the next day and say, oh, you know, Joe Smith that we picked up at the um, vaccine clinic, what what was his diagnosis? Because it it can't be released now. So a lot of unknowns, right? But I had never in my career picked up patients before at vaccine clinics. That's an important distinction to make. you know, then again, we haven't, we haven't had a large public drive, in all fairness, for vaccines either, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah uh, you know, speaking in a theme with calls, I'm curious as well, did you notice an uptick in calls while you were, um, while you're operating as a paramedic? Um, did you notice like an increase in like drug overdoses or anything along those lines? Suicide? Yeah, it, in Toronto, we're always busy, right? So it's, it's not like we really have slow days. I did definitely see an increase um, with opiate use, opiate overdoses and suicides, hands down, absolutely. Um, lots of younger people um, attempting suicide. Um, lots of domestic abuse, right? Especially <clears throat> in low-income populations. Um, it's heartbreaking, right? I mean, you jam families into an apartment for weeks on end they can't go out they don't feel safe to go out they don't want to even go into the elevator and violence breaks out right I think that we would all get a little stir crazy cooped up with people we're not used to living in close quarters with but just a lot of stress a lot of anger um yeah Anthony did you want to say something um, I was just thinking about, you know, the whole ordeal that you went through um, with, your, with your employer, um, which is the city of Toronto, uh, correct? Yes. I'm wondering, did the union come to your aid at all? Like, did you raise any concerns with that? Um, we have, for sure. The union has put a policy grievance in. And I guess when the policy grievance, it goes to arbitration. So we're not really privy to know what that grievance is. I have never... I'm probably not good to answer these questions because I had never even put a grievance in. I didn't know what the grievance process was all about. After 23 years, I just kind of happily went to work. This was the first time I ever needed the union. No, I don't feel like they've been a great support. They haven't really kept us in the loop. We've asked them and emailed them what, what does the policy, like, what is the policy grievance? Oh, we can't, we can't tell you. Well, can we go and sit in on the meeting? No, no, you can't. You can't do that. So we don't even know if we're being represented well. Um, yeah, that kind of sounds like an issue in accountability there, especially if they're not allowing people to actually witness the meeting. Um, no, and, and we voice that. I mean, we have no idea how they will be representing us, unfortunately. And it's sad because I've worked 23 years in paid union dues thinking that if we ever needed them, they'll really have your back. But no, I have certainly felt no support from the union. 
Mm -hmm. Yes, it seems a running theme in the past two years um, during this COVID crisis, and I put the crisis in quotation marks, uh, that the unions have failed, not just people here in Canada, but all around the world, Australia, New Zealand, America, most Western countries, it looks like all the unions, I wouldn't say all, but the majority of the unions have failed their, their people, the people that they're paying their fees. We feel the same way too. I mean, I guess an arbitrator will decide, but um, they had sort of like town hall meetings that we could attend to during the summer when they, before they implemented the vaccine policy. Um, but no, they didn't really give us much hope. It was just like, well, the employer has the right to mandate this. And unless you have a religious or medical exemption, um, you stand little hope. I just wanted to go back to something that you said when it came to the events that you witnessed during COVID-19. I wouldn't say percentage, but you saw more opioid overdoses. And I just wanted yeah. to say that a couple of weeks ago, it was reported that opioid uh, overdose was the highest cause for death in America in a certain age range for young people. I cannot remember. It was, I think it was like 18 to 45 or something like that. But it yeah. was it was some, it was something around there, and also, within when seeing suicide rates, we are it has been again reported that one in four teenage girls in America now have thoughts thoughts of suicide. One in five Canadian teenage girls have thoughts of suicide because teenagers have have don't have any social interaction. Their schools are shut down. They're at home more, think, you know, and also social media and stuff like that. You know, it has done a number on their mental health and it's obviously showing. And it's also, obviously you've also seen it as well, Scarlett. And I also just wanted to mention what, with domestic abuse, some, something that is, I think, a silent killer and a silent crisis that, is ha that has arisen now when it comes to, you know, the pandemic, the lockdowns and stuff like that, particularly and also the loss of jobs. People don't talk, no this fact or people don't know that the number one reason why men commit suicide is unemployment. Yeah. And the number one reason why men commit, one of the top reasons why men commit domestic abuse to their children or to their wives or their fam other family members is because of unemployment. And also the one, the number one reason why men go into alcohol, into alcoholism and also drug abuse is also unemployment. So you have this huge rise in unemployment in most countries in this in during COVID-19. And you see domestic abuse, you see suicide, you see all these things. And it's actually your what you're what you're finding in your work experience is actually what is coming out in all the reports and all the studies that are coming out now because we've been going through this for the past two years so everything that oh, you've yeah. been doing lately is completely aligned to what um is being reported and recorded and uh studied right now hands down without a doubt and i can tell you another story that makes me so worried and sad um I'll never forget, I went into a residence to do a call and I, I kind of forget what the call was. The call was sort of a, a run of the mill. And as I walked in the front, you know, we're always coming in in full PPE. There was a mother holding an 18 or 20 month old and she stepped back and she said, oh, you'll have to, I have to apologize for the way that 
this child might react to you because you are the first outside human that this child has ever seen. And I remember just stopping and I'm glad I had a mask on because I, I think my jaw dropped and your head spins thinking, and the mother, I mean, bless her heart. She thought that she was being a great mother and I would congratulate her for this. She went on to tell me how she hasn't had her out to a park. She hasn't been out in public anywhere. And, you know, these were, these were educated people with fairly decent jobs, right? I mean, it was your average house, your average backyard in the city. And I remember just being stunned and I looked at that 18 month old and I'm a mother of four and sort of a Rolodex went through my head of all the things I did before my kids were 18 months, you know, the swimming lessons, the mum and tot, the YMCA, the trips to the park, the pet, the dog, the petting zoos. Like, and you just think all those experiences, we know that you can't set the clock back and go back and do them. Those early childhood experiences imprint who you become later. There's no catch up. And I thought I'm really the first human that this child has seen. And I wondered how many more people were in that city in the same situation, um, sort of being cheered on by the media and the fear mongering that this is what you need to do for your child. Right. And, and you're doing good. This is, and I just thought this is horrific. And, you know, the other facet to that are all the people that were having major medical events, like life-threatening heart attacks, and would not come to the hospital because they were afraid of COVID. And I mean, as paramedics, we get used to giving death notifications and breaking terrible news to people, right? So as we break the terrible news, we're always I always feel you need to be upfront and sympathetic, and this is really concerning, but this is the this is what we're going to do for you. We'll be here for you. We'll help you. And then these people, I, I didn't know how to help them because their fear was so irrational. I couldn't convince them that I should take them to the hospital for their heart attack and that they shouldn't worry about contracting COVID because this clot in their heart was far more likely to be killing them at this moment. And they just wouldn't. And then I had another subset of patients with chronic illness that had went into the hospital for something and they would, it didn't matter to them. They weren't going back. So this would be elderly patients that they said they were locked in a room. Nobody would come in and care for them. Everybody would come in in full PPE and they missed their medications and they missed their food. And they would look me in the eye and say, I don't care if I die at home, I will not go to the hospital. So for the first time as a paramedic, I would be so upset thinking I've never had to pitch to anybody seriously ill. Like you really need to come to the hospital. Like there's always the odd patient that's apprehensive, but these were people that were like, I will die at home. I will not go back in there. And it's a heavy feeling when you walk away knowing they will die at home. And, you know, we're supposed to be helping them. Healthcare is supposed to be helping these people or, I could tell stories all night. If you can imagine a 92-year-old <clears throat> trying to do a Zoom call with their physician and manage very complex medications. <laughs> like, I think there's a level, it just seems criminal. Like, they can't manage the tech. They're hard of hearing. They can't understand dosages. And yet, you know, physicians get to bill for these appointments and these 
elderly people are falling through the cracks one after the next. Like it just, so much is wrong, right? I don't have all the solutions, but. <clears throat> um, that is crazy. It is a good thing this podcast is only audio because Lucy and I had our like jaws dropped for quite a bit of that conversation. That is scary. Uh, especially oh, so criminal. much. Yeah, it's absolutely I, criminal, I, actually. Yeah. I, I do want to try to lighten the mood up after that. <laughs> uh, Scarlett, I got an intriguing question for you. <clears throat> so recently, Justin Trudeau came out and said that unvaccinated people are racist and misogynist. So how does it feel to be racist and sexist towards women? Also, remember, it's from a man who wore blackface <laughs> at least three times. <laughs> yes, we are not loving on our prime minister these days, are we? No, it's... Uh... It, it feels, I can't even describe it. I mean, anger, I guess. You just think, are, are you for real? Like, these were just, I just made a medical decision that I thought was the best one for me. This, this doesn't affect anybody else, right? Like, if we can't see that clearly now, me not participating in this study, it doesn't put anybody else at risk because we know the vaccinated can spread it. And, I mean, work-wise, we were wearing... PPE anyway and screening before shift and we could have done antigen testing. Like it's such a nothing burger. To me, I think they just took a very authoritarian approach with us and they're not going to back down. And I got terminated over it. I have no regrets. I, I don't sit and think, Oh, I wish I had complied to this because, um, yeah, I, I don't have regrets over it. I just, that's a hard line in the sand for me. I, I believe fiercely in informed consent. And I think that, um, I don't think there's any, any room for argument on the issue, right? You either believe that you should be, you should choose what goes into your body or you believe the government should choose. It's really nothing to do with this vaccine or that vaccine or COVID, this outbreak, the next pandemic, that you just believe one way or the other. Yes. If you don't have freedom over your own body, what do you have freedom over as a human being? Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't take somebody's blood pressure without first saying, I'm going to put this cuff on your arm and this, it's going to inflate. And especially if you knew that they were uncertain about it or unsure, like it, it just seems like the, something you do for your fellow humans. You don't just, just I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's a pretty crazy time to be alive, isn't it? That, that was quite a racist and misogynist rant. Thanks for sharing. Yes, we are <laughs> confirmed racist, racist, misogynist people. Absolutely. We're not good people. We don't like helping others. And No, not at all. Um, and that's the other funny thing is to to name call I think is so childish, right? Like to call a healthcare worker an anti-vaxxer is such an oxymoron because we're all vaccinated to do our job. Like we've taken many vaccines. We obviously believe in medicine, but just this one new technology made some of us nervous, right? So that makes us anti-vaxxers. And I think, oh, this is insanity. It is insanity. And also what, when you bring up, you know, regular vaccines take up to 10 years to, you know, go through the system to make sure that it is safe and that it is effective. Or you'll say that, you know, that Pfizer is the number one company in the world that has had um, 
lawsuits and they've had the largest payout dollars yeah 2.3 billion dollars pharma i think basically has of all the lawsuits uh that they've had to settle or they've had to you know plead guilty upon big pharma has had the biggest ones in in history you know moderna yes. also had one that was i think 800 million dollars just a few years ago as well and then when you when you bring something like that up or you when you bring in bring up like you know that you can't sue these people the government has protected mm -hmm. them so you can't list so if you you know god forbid gets a stroke and you and you know your half of your brain is and face is frozen for the rest of your life from this vaccine you can't sue them and and when you bring that up to somebody they just turn it away and it is really troubling in our society when you cannot have a discourse like that when you cannot even just plant a seed of just going but maybe when it is literally people either shun you or they're in fear as you have encountered scarlet um it really has some something has happened in our societies you know you know recently what has been trending what has been uh, mass mass what was it again mass um formation mass, psychosis from, yes from joe rogan my new favorite uh, word yeah and I think that's what's been happening and what you've been experiencing now is too, is just people go, going absolutely crazy. Like the woman who had that 18 month year old child, you know, um, most mothers, if not all, I've never heard of this before, usually go and show off their children to the world. When you have a newborn baby, look at my beautiful creature that I've created. Look at this wondrous, wondrous thing. Look at my, my entire pride and joy and they go and show it to the mom, dad, neighbor, person at the you know grocery store cashier whatever and and they have play dates and usually that's the intuition of a mother or of, of a parent of a newborn child but the fact that they have been so brainwashed in fear mm -hmm. that they are literally encaging their child well it's all, it's almost abuse and i feel me in saying that because this mother thought I mean, she was doing everything to protect this child. And in my head, I was thinking, oh my God, like what ramifications will this have in the long run? Yeah. But I guess back to the anti-vax thing, I, as soon as you can name call somebody, you can just dismiss everything they say, right? So if you fall in, if you question this vaccine, you're an anti-vaxxer and therefore we don't have to listen to anything that you say despite the fact that there are now thousands, if not millions, of fully vaccinated individuals who are against mandates. <laughs> yeah, that, that's another thing that really gets me itching too, is that, you know, chances are we've all received other vaccines throughout our life. This is, just happens to be one vaccine that we have questions about. Mm -hmm. uh, and that kind of leads me into another question for you. So from what I understand, I believe nurses do take um, uh, vaccines as, in order to hold their position as nurses. Um, were you required to take other vaccines in the past and what, like, what made this one so different? Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so a condition of our initial employment, we had to show proof of vaccination of, you know, everything on the vaccination schedule or, and now this will open a funny topic or proof of immunity, right? So I have proof of immunity to COVID. So let's talk about chickenpox or the, the term you would see as varicella. So 
when I got hired, I either had to show proof of chickenpox immunity or proof of chickenpox vaccination. Well, when I was young, I had chickenpox. So you just go in and you get your blood taken and they measure what's called blood titers, which are just um, a measurement of antibodies in your blood. So that's all you needed. You could say, here's my chickenpox immunity. And, and that was all fine. And that's always been accepted in medicine, except not anymore. <laughs> you can't, even if you have COVID immunity, um, we know that natural immunity is not as good as the vaccine. I don't know how we know that because we haven't, it hasn't been around long enough to say, oh no, natural immunity won't do. And natural immunity has always been fine in the past. So, and that's what they do. Um, unfortunately, during the pandemic, I also had um, a needle stick injury, which was quite stressful. So you have to go in and have your baseline blood taken to make, to screen for all your baseline things um, to make sure that you were sort of HIV negative and HEP negative at that moment, in case you developed it, they could link it to your needle stick injury. So with that blood work, I had the titers done for hepatitis B. So I've been vaccinated for hepatitis B, B, and I had shown the antibodies in my blood. So they, okay, that's good. That's in check. So, um, yeah, no, we, we, of course, as healthcare workers, we, we get vaccinated often. I was wondering, uh, Scarlett, you know, since you were a, par a paramedic and you've been in the health field here in Ontario for 23 years, what are the myths that are, that, is, that are being perpetuated right now, either the media or the government that you are seeing that's happening with either this vaccine or the policies or um, what would you like to dispel uh, to our audience? Um. Well, I'll make this part quick because it's super boring. It's legislative talk. So under legislation, the Health Protection and Promotion Act, when the chief medical officer feels that there's a threat, he can implement a directive. So what he did, he implemented Directive 6. And Directive 6 impacted hospitals, healthcare workers, ambulance services, long-term care. Now, first, when we saw that directive come out, we thought, oh, here we go. And as we read it, we thought, well, that, that isn't bad. All the directive is saying is that these workplaces have to implement a vaccination policy. So it didn't say mandatory vaccination, just a policy. So the policy could include Scarlett Martin is uncomfortable with the vaccine, so she's going to do antigen testing. This person's vaccinated, and they had to keep stats of who is unvaccinated. And the policy went on to talk about taking an education session. And it's funny, right in the, right in the content of the education session, it said it should talk about vaccination being a personal choice. So Directive 6 wasn't threatening at all. It was just they wanted to keep some numbers. There was options. If you had on vaccinated staff, they were to do antigen testing. That was fine. Well, the city of Toronto went far and above. Like nowhere in Directive 6 did it ever say anything around the language of vaccinate or terminate. It, it didn't say anything about terminating employees or suspending employees <laughs> or, you know, treating them like they treated us. Um, so the city of Toronto just took it upon themselves to implement this vaccinate or terminate policy. They've went well beyond Directive 6. Um, neighboring services like Peel Region, their paramedic service 
did not, they accepted unvaccinated employees. They just do antigen testing and they continue to work. Um, something a little strange about that is John Tory will pitch to the public of Toronto, every, every city employee is vaccinated. Um, that's only a partial truth because when a Peel paramedic comes into Toronto with a patient, which they often do because Toronto has all the specialty hospitals, um, that unvaccinated or possibly unvaccinated Peel paramedic, because they're still allowed to continue working, as soon as they offload their patient, they become an available unit in Toronto. So if they're an empty ambulance and they're the closest to a call in Toronto, they will go do a call within Toronto. So you could have an unvaccinated Peel paramedic doing a call in Toronto, transporting a Toronto patient. So it just, it put sort of salt in the wounds that we were being terminated and right on the border, other services were allowed to do antigen testing. Well, um, I would never expect a politician like John Tory to only say a half truth. Well, that is so unfair. Right? <laughs> Another question I have, you know, just because you've been involved with the, the you know, the medical industry for so long, um, you have, on one side of the spectrum, you have superiors, as well as health officials, as well as politicians like John Tory, uh, telling us we need to vaccinate. Um, on the other hand, you said that you were looking to, you know, some scientists and doctors who were saying, you know, uh, evidence to the contrary. How do you kind of balance um, the science? Because so often we hear trust the science. Um, and so often people like us see both sides of the science. But um, I don't know, how do, you, how do you kind of manage that throughout your day to day? I think we've all noticed, those of us that followed, like, I've never seen the censoring of credible physicians before like anybody that speaks against the narrative you just you get name called and censored so we don't have to listen to you anymore you're just a but um i know dr byron bridal out of guelph university brought up some really alarming um safety data and i mean it's not disputable these were you know the vaccine when they pitched it they said that it stayed in your arm in the lymphatic system and he came as you know he got the biodistribution studies out of Japan that showed that it, it doesn't, it goes in the bone marrow and the ovaries and the blood brain barrier. And I guess in my heart, I thought that should be enough to sort of put the brakes on some stuff. If something doesn't work how we thought it worked, then maybe we should just use the precautionary principle, right? Like you, it, I just think that it's been irresponsible to the public. Well, well said, Lucy. What are your thoughts? I it is absolutely irresponsible, and I'm just everything that you're saying are truth bombs, and I'm just absorbing them and processing them in. Uh, that's what I that's why I think most of the audience is going to be going through uh, right now when they listen to this podcast. They're just going to be completely shocked, appalled, distressed, dismayed, uh, and also just feeling helpless and just feeling going, how can, what can we do to fight? What can we do to uh, combat this? And one sad thing I learned, I, I've been a paramedic my whole life. I started when I was 20 years old. I really probably had no business being a paramedic at 20 years old, but here we are, right? I've always enjoyed my career and learned so much, but 
I'd never really spoken up on anything before. So I didn't realize, like I always thought if something like this was happening, people would come forward and speak up. Like people wouldn't just stand by and let this happen. People would be speaking up on the rooftops. But then I realized when you want to speak up, there really is no platform because people, I mean, I've been viciously attacked and had horrible things said about me, which the good thing, you can't really hurt a paramedic with 23 years on the road. You can't really hurt our feelings anymore, right? We've heard it all. We've been sweared at, spit at, and punched. And like We're pretty solid to just roll with the punches. But it's been unbelievable to me, the people that champion me losing my job, and it serves her right, and we're laughing at her. And I think that I wasn't expecting the viciousness. And I have nothing to gain from speaking up. Like I'm out of a job, <laughs> I'm out of work. I like there. There's been no gain for me in this whatsoever. Um, only that I'm driven somehow to do the right thing. I just want the things to turn around. I think what's going on is terribly wrong, and I can't stand for it. I have four children. I I don't want to look at my children and think I helped pave this road of horribleness ahead of you. I just, I want them to know, even though I've made a hard choice, um, I would, I would do it all again. And I think on that, we should listen to the people that have everything to lose in this, right? Like the people speaking up, like I remember early on when Dr. Byron Bridal spoke up, what happened uh, with his career, right? And you, you look at that and you think they're, <laughs> these are the people we need to listen to, right? Not the ones that are sitting, telling us what to do. And we're all in this together. And, you know, we're not all in this together. Like these people have not bankrupted their own business and they've had paychecks all through the pandemic. And yeah. <clears throat> I heard someone, someone's told me, if you want to hear the truth, listen to the silenced. Mm -hmm. I think that's it. And I, I, we not only feel silenced, but we feel kind of ridiculed. Like, I hate to sound too sappy or, but there is a level of humiliation and degrading to be fired from your job. Like if somebody told me last year, sat and heard my story a little bit, I got to be honest, I would think, are, are you full of shit? Like, are you really telling the truth about this? Because it's so unbelievable. I remember in my suspension meeting, like, how am I getting suspended? Because I've wrote a letter, expressed heartfelt concerns and just asked to be heard. And I'm being called willfully insubordinate. And you're taking my ID. So they stripped us of our ministry ID and our ID to get us into stations and my drug keys. And I thought, how have I, this morning I was responsible for all this. And now all of a sudden I'm, I don't know. They just, they treated us like criminals. Like it was, it was actually really dehumanizing. I felt really bad for the younger employees that, you know, some of them got emotional because they, it, it kind of blindsided. You just didn't expect that. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it does. It seems a little unbelievable. I think this for the past two years we have seen on a level that most people in modern Western society have done, the, have seen is just the dehumanizing of people. 
Mm-hmm. Really, it's so easy now just to go after someone or to accuse someone and without even realizing that they're a human being, you know, without even thinking that, oh my goodness, this is a daughter, this is a mother, this is a sister, this is a wife, this is a best friend, this is someone who maybe mm-hmm. could have, you know, had traumatic experiences as a child or, um, you know, is having going through something right now. But no, it's just, they people just look at you as literally a dog and just start barking at you. Yeah. And I've, I've never had a big social media presence. Um, I don't know. I, I guess, you know, my passion is farming. We live on a farm and do things maybe unconventional, but I'd never spent a lot of time on screens. And now it's, uh, it's scary to think that, I mean, I'm a good person. I started my job because I like to help people and I still would love to be doing my job. And I don't think people realize the sacrifice that paramedics make, um, not just us, all, anybody, right? I mean, we work Christmas, we work New Year's, we miss our kids' birthdays, we miss hockey games, the job's taxing. Like I explained it once to the kids, it's kind of like Narnia, you know, you go through the closet into a different world and then you try to come home out of that world again. And my kids don't know when I walk through the door after a 15 hour day if I've just done, you know, things I would never bring home and talk about, but it's a hard job to adjust that way. And we sacrifice so much family time and we make such big sacrifices to serve the public. And then when you see, you just have what I think is a reasonable request and you see the public a lot, a lot of them were in support, but a lot of them were just vicious, like on, you just think, Oh, I had no idea the hostility. Like in my mind, this is all very rational and reasonable, reasonable, but the public is just, some of them were just terrible. The public, I think what has happened to our society is that we've all become Regina George from Mean Girls. We've all become the, the <laughs> these yes, mean girls. queen. <laughs> That's what has happened. Yeah. I, I, I know a lot about Mean Girls because I uh, have a lot of cousins who are female and I also was an actress. And so I know a lot about uh, uh, mean girl activity. I was never the mean girl. They were always the mean girl to me, but that's what, from what I'm seeing is just this, like you said, the hostility and the viciousness and, and just downright cruelty. Yeah. And I don't know where it comes from. I mean, last year people were banging pots in the street. Nobody minded that we weren't vaccinated last year. <laughs> like if anyone was to foresee this coming, like a, it's, it's blindsiding. I truthfully, I wake up and I think it's just that quick minute when you're waking up in the morning, you're like, no, it's, it's real. It just happened. Um, yeah. I think it's mass formation psychosis or hypnosis or whatever it is that, uh, 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 we were talking about on Joe on Joe Rogan, but also I think uh, this is we're going to go a little bit deeper. This is my personal theory: is that our society has the further we get away from traditional values, the further we get away from being human. That's my personal belief. The further we get away from having regular family uh, gatherings and a, a, a family unit. Uh, you know, with doesn't even have to be a mother and father, like a mother and mother, or just or with or a grandparent stuff like that. But something to hold you together and to teach you um, those things. It, when that unit is broken, and we've we've seen the breaking of traditional families, 
or just families in general throughout the, our society in the past 40 years, you know, this is what happens. And also, you know, parents are not parenting anymore. And in my, in my personal opinion, you know, I see the fuck you mom generation, you know, and I see all this stuff and that, and parents don't discipline their children. And so when you grow up when, with no discipline, no love, a broken family unit and all this stuff, and you bring that out into the world as an adult, you know, you really don't have any true moral foundation. You have whatever society tells you, whatever the television or what Oprah or what, um, you know, social media is telling you and you just grab onto that. And then you just, and because you don't have any discipline in your life or it was never built up in you, you just go and you just go whatever, what you feel. So you feel like I'm going to lash out. So I'm going to lash out this person, you know, the, the uh, television and, uh, the government says these people are racist. Well, I hate racist people, so I'm going to call them racist too. Like it's it, you know, when you don't have firm foundations as a person, you don't have that as an adult. Really, mm-hmm. it's really hard to develop um, those types of morals and ethics as an adult. You really truly have to have a, in my opinion, in growing up as a child and being built. But that's that's one of my theories and the re- reason why our society has come this way. We don't have a, a good family unit. Yes, yeah, something. After you? No, I was just gonna say something because I I wasn't ready for the viciousness. Like it's. Uh... I think it's kind of like a, a two pronged, uh, you know, a two pronged kind of fork in a sense where you know on, on one prong, I feel like even before COVID. Um, our society, you know, humans, human beings need love in order to grow into healthy, loving humans later on in life. And I feel like, you know, especially with COVID, we're, we're starting to see now how, how little love we actually have for each other. And it's almost as if like, you know, COVID policies and COVID hysteria, masturbation psychosis, to me, it kind of feels like we are separating love in our daily lives. And, you know, in doing that, that, you know, like you were saying before, Lucy, it kind of dehumanizes the person. And in addition to that, too, on that other prong, the way that I see it is the government being so progressive that we're actually moving backwards actually created a class of people to discriminate, you know, uh, dividing people into vaccinated, non-vaccinated. I think that the media went out there, they pushed fear, and the average person ate it up to the point where a lot of people who just a couple of months ago, a couple of years ago, you know, the champions of diversity and inclusivity are not advocating for people to discriminate based off of, you know, physical health. And I just, I I just think that this is all going to have, this is currently having a detrimental effect. We're going to be feeling the effects of this in the long term. On the next 50 years, 50, 60 years, this is going to work. Um, we're going to be living with this and the ramifications of this for the rest of our lives. Yeah. And it's, it's funny. We'll see it. Like the, in my job, I was telling you about the 18 month old, you know, the young spectrum, what is that going to produce into the future now? But on the other side, like we never asked the elderly how we felt about this. Right. Because I, we work, we do lots of calls in long-term care homes. And I remember 
picking up a World War II vet. And when I walked into his apartment, you felt so humbled and you got a lump in your throat because here's this 97-year-old man sitting there and yet you're looking at his wall and he's a decorated war hero. He's got medals and you can see him as a young, strapping, strong man as a, I think he was a fighter pilot or something, like a true hero of our country. And you're so humble that you feel like you should bow down on one knee. And, you know, I served this patient and took care of him. And I remember having him in the back of the ambulance and he started to cry. And there is nothing sadder than having an elderly war hero cry and tell you how hard the pandemic has been on him because he hasn't he's been isolated for so long and i i just thought this is this is so wrong this is beyond words like we we just what we've done to people the young and the old right at opposite ends of the spectrum and we've turned public against you know people like myself that are like honestly i'm just trying to do what i think is the right thing and um yeah it's it's a crazy time. Yeah, and this man has seen literally evil in the face fighting Nazis. This man has seen human beings blown up on the war fields. On you know, this man has you know basically if he was in the war and he was a fire pilot, he's dropped bombs and killed and dropped shells. You know, he's done so much, and then the fact that he's saying that this is this pandemic has has basically is destroying him. And this is not the way you treat a, someone who's a hero. You don't treat no. them. So how do you, how, how is he thinking what, I, I often think about what the, what the World War I and World War II generation think of us now, that we're afraid of a virus that's 99.8% survivable. That, that, you know, I mean, they must think we're pussies. We, they must think we are the most coward, entitled brats there ever was. And, and thinking we fought, our lives and limbs for you. We gave up our, ch our, the best years of our lives for you. I could have been with my wife. I could have been with my children or I could have found a wife or started a family or something like that. And that's what I gave up for you for this. Yeah. It, you know? it, it, on so many levels, I could look at patients and you feel guilt and shame and you think I, I don't want to participate in this because I think this is wrong. Right. And not being able to bring, families to hospitals like that was the other hard thing every hospital put their own rules in you know the Scarborough hospitals would do one thing and so you never knew even from shift to shift because though the nurse manager would be really hardball and not let anybody in and I remember having a huge argument and we always advocate for our patients as paramedics right and I told the wife of this gentleman yes of course you come with us come in the ambulance you'll be allowed in I mean your wife's at the end of life and he was turned away. And <laughs> to be in our shoes as paramedics, I now have to walk out to the waiting room and tell the spouse of a dying person to like get in a cab and go home because they won't let him in. Like it just, I, I almost wish I had have chronicled some of this because I've never experienced this level of inhumanity in my entire career. Like it just didn't happen. And it's just, it's just story after story. We're causing more. These, this, these policies are causing more pain and more suffering than good. It is, yeah. it is what is happening to our society is catastrophic. Yeah. And there's got to be some balance, right? I mean, we, we need to keep people safe, the vulnerable safe from this. Like there, there has to be some balance, uh, but 
this is not it. This is not balance. Like firing healthcare workers that are good at the job and still have passion for it, um, treating us the way they treated us. And then our colleagues are all, I mean, last weekend in the city, um, there was no ambulances to send to a high level emergency. Nothing, not an available unit. And I still talk to lots of my colleagues and tons of support from work. And they said, it's just hell in a handbasket. There's people send me screenshots of the city with no available ambulances and stacking calls. And then you have Mayor John Tory and releasing the numbers. Oh, it was an insignificant number terminated. That's another maybe partial truth because there was only so many of us that were terminated. But so, so many um, went off on stress leave before this, right? They seen the mandates coming, they see no way out. So they're not included in the number. But the city knows that all of a sudden we had this huge drop in staffing. Um, They're just, they're not being truthful, right? It was no coincidence that, you know, two days after mass termination and people being off, there's no ambulances to send. That is, that is an awful ordeal to go through. And if I honestly, like my heart goes out to every side case that you said on this, you know, this recording, uh, if there's anybody who's listening, who, you know, was a patient of Scarlett's, I'd love to hear from you in regards to this. Um, but Scarlett, let me, let me ask you this. Um, what message do you have for healthcare workers who have gone through a similar ordeal, um, you know, to you and what advice do you have to anybody who's facing vaccine mandates based on employment for their employment? Ah, it's a hard road. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I guess, truthfully, as hard as this is, for me not to stand in my beliefs and to submit to something I I really don't think is a good idea for me, that would be harder. So um, I don't know, I guess we'll just have to stay strong. And I, I do believe in informed consent. I'm a fierce advocate for informed consent and that means you weigh the risks and the benefits and you decide on the treatment and there's no repercussions right mm-hmm. that's that's what it's supposed to be uh lucy what are your thoughts i i completely agree with you and i and that is a hill to die on scarlet that's an absolute hill to die on and i i will stand on that hill with you and i'm sure anthony would too um i do I'll have bring <laughs> I will I do have some good news to report to um the three of us and also to our audience as of today uh the, a couple of the Joe Biden uh vaccine mandates have been struck down by the Supreme Court of of America uh any private company with 100 people and over uh, you do not have, you will not be fired for not taking the jab and they cannot force you to do it. And same thing with, I believe for jobs under, for private job, uh, companies, a hundred and under, I, I could be wrong with that. However, uh, the, for the federal jobs, the federal healthcare, uh, workers, unfortunately they're still mandated. Um, the Supreme court did not, uh, block that mandate. So, uh, I think it was, I think it was, four mandates that were issued, I put that in quotations, issued by uh, Joe Biden and three of them were blocked. So that is, you know, 75% is not bad. 
maybe there is a tide that's going to change right now. I know that Spain has said that we're going to not treat COVID as a pandemic, but as, as an endemic, meaning that we're just going to live with this. We're not going to do, you know, so maybe, you know, that's some silver lining that we could, and some hope that we could um, uh, cling on to in these times that maybe, you know, the rest of the world will start catching on and start realizing that this is actually really, really bad. We are causing mass suffering on a, on a global level that I don't think, you know, our, our world has ever seen, you know, from physical to mental, spiritual, financial. I mean, I, was it 600 million people who went back into poverty uh, over the past two years, you know? Uh, so, but with with that that little bit of hope uh, that uh, is happening in America, maybe that will spread to Canada and the rest of the so-called free world now. So, um, is there anything else you want to say, Scarlett? We are almost near one hour. It's been absolutely fantastic and mind blowing and eye opening that uh, the stuff that you've said. Is there anything that you would like to say to our audience? No, thank you for having me. It's been great um, having a talk. And sometimes I think it's just great to put sort of a, a person to the movement or a person. Um, I, I know during my last couple of weeks at work, um, I had a lot of colleagues saying like, you're going to get fired. And I said, well, that they, they'll have to do as they see fit, but I'm not going to take this. And um I remember people saying like, oh, these anti-vaxxers. And I, I would speak up and say, well, that's, I guess I would fall in. Like it truly, oh, no, 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 you're not an anti-vaxxer. Like you're making an informed decision that's different. <laughs> and I said, no, like by definition, you know, they want to name call us and anti-vaxxers, anybody that has a problem with vaccine mandates or is questioning the vaccine. And I said, for me, I have natural immunity. I don't think it's a good idea that I take it. But it was just funny to see people flip and switch gears, right? As soon as they knew sort of, oh, that's you, that's different. So I think the ability to change people's hearts is out there, right? And I thank you for giving me a platform to speak on. And also, how can our audience reach you on social, on social media? Well, only if they uh, don't say mean things about me. <laughs> well, there is always a block button. The block button is your friend. I am not a big social media person. I'm just Scarlett Martin. And I've got like a Facebook and I think on Twitter and Instagram. But uh, yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not a big social media gal. But yeah, I guess those would be the easiest ways. Okay, for our audience, I will, we, I will get her information for you and I will put it into the description of this episode. So if you guys want to follow her and you guys want to talk to her or, or get, to know, get to know Scarlett more, know more of her story or stories, uh, or if you just want to reach out and say, you know what, I'm also a healthcare worker here in Canada um, and, and this is what I'm going through as well, you know, I, I highly encourage that move. Yeah, I would be definitely open for that. That sounds great. Yep, as far as I'm concerned, Scarlett, um, you are a hero. And I think that if more healthcare workers um, were speaking out the way that you were um, and just, you know, ask good questions, I think that we would be in a much different place right now. So I thank you for coming on and thank you for your service for the City of Toronto. Oh, thank you. I hope one day that we all will 
you know, this will all be over for all of us. So, but thank you very much for coming, Scarlett. You're more than welcome. Thanks for having me. All right, everyone. So that is our latest episode. Uh, we'd, we'd like to thank Scarlett for uh, giving her time and her energy for this episode. Also, I just want to tell everybody that we do have a couple more episodes in the works. One with another healthcare worker, an, a nurse. And also, we're going to take a little bit of a detour. We are actually going to be talking about sports. In fact, we're going to be talking about Novak Djokovic. I don't know if you guys heard of him. I don't know if you guys have been sleeping under a rock the past few days. But he is unvaccinated. And he is uh, not going to take it. And he is making a bunch of noise in the Australian Open right now. And also, he is the greatest tennis player of all time. And I... Uh, we have secured someone who is in the tennis world and can speak on his stance and also what the media and the media mani manipulation has done to the world of tennis, the world of sports, and also to the audience. So I hope and wish you guys to come back for those two episodes. Anthony, do you have anything else to say? Tell your friends. They are going to be exciting shows and I cannot wait to uh, record them with you. Yes, they're going to be really, really excited. I don't want to I, I jump out of my skin, particularly for the uh, tennis episode, because uh, I am a tennis fan. And so with that, everybody, uh, I would like to say goodbye, and we will see you on the next episode.